0: My soul and all that is within me, bless His holy name. I'm sitting there listening, reading the Scriptures, thinking about nothing but the blood. Thank you, Brother Mike. Praise Him on the trumpet, and if they'd have had one, they'd have written praise Him on the saxophone. They just didn't know what it was yet. So So today we continue our GOAT series, the greatest of all time, but today you're a little more actively involved, and here's why you ever read one of those books that you read like 20 pages, and then it says, what do you think happens next if A, go to page 21, if B, skip to page 31, and you choose where the story goes, and then it goes on a little farther, gives you another divergent point? Those became the rage for a while, and so I thought, you know what, today I'm going to preach a sermon kind of like that. Instead of telling you what is the greatest promise of all time, I'm going to give you a chance to write your own story as far as that one goes. What is the greatest promise of all time? Now, maybe you already have a special promise from God in His scriptures that that you claim regularly, that you cling to as a favorite verse. If you do, that's wonderful. And let me just say, I'd love to get an email from you. My email address is on the church bulletin. You can just send me a paragraph or two in an email. Tell me what your favorite verse is, why, how God has blessed you by having that as a promise that He's He's given you. Or maybe what you want to do is on the note page today, and I'd encourage you to make use of it today, even if you're not regularly a note taker, you might look on the back and find we've given you a little outline structure that'll really help you in jotting down these verses today, and maybe you'd like to start at the top of the page by just writing down the reference of your favorite verse to remind you that there's a promise of God that you've already been claiming and God has been faithful to use that in your life, however you want to do it. But especially if you've never really given this much thought, if somebody walks up to you and says, tell me what's that great promise of God that you really like to claim? And you go, what? Share with me your life verse, your prom n- n- No, what? If, if, if that's kind of where you are, I'm hoping that maybe today, just walking through some of the great promises of God will motivate you to select and perhaps memorize a promise or two. And that further, it is my sincere prayer that you will think on, meditate on, appreciate more than ever, these promises of God. You saw some of the ones that ran during the song a moment ago. None of those are included in the message I'm gonna get to today. And there were some great ones there. Maybe one of those is one you've clung to in the past. But I pray that as you think about these, as you reflect on these, as you write down today the scripture references and any notations you want, that it will help them to sink deeper and deeper into your heart and soul and mind to give you encouragement to give you strength when you need it. Now, there was a group that did a very specific count of promises in the Bible. They came up with 3,573. I thought, man, how do you do that? And sure enough, I looked at another group, they said, well, actually, there are over 7,000 promises, they're just not quite as direct a promise. You have to kind of read the passage and understand that there's a promise contained in it. The word promise itself occurs in the Bible about 50 times. But when I saw that 7,000 number, I got very excited. I had a consultation with our elders, and they said to me, no, you may not try to preach on all 7,000 in one sermon. So today, I have chosen just 10 for your consideration uh, this morning. But before we do that, I want to begin with uh, a verse that's really a promise about promises. If you look at the top of the page, where it lists Second Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. I actually backed that up a verse. You might want to just tweak that. Verses 2 through 4. Uh, we're going to look at that. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you to stand with me out of respect for God's Word. We're going to put these three verses, verses 2, 3, and 4 of Second Peter chapter 1 on the screen. And I want us to read them together. And, and if you've never thought this through, maybe you're new to the church game, let me kind of explain. The reason that we often will stand together as we hear the Word of God is that it reminds us. What we're about to read here, this is not just one more guy's opinion. This is not something Pastor Eddie went into his study and wrote this week or last week or this morning. We do this out of reference because this is the Word of God. There are opinions are a dime a dozen, but the Word of God stands forever. You can take it to the bank. You can count on it. This is coming from God Himself. So would you join me then? Let's read it together in unison. Let's go. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue." By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Wow, what a great passage to start with. You may be seated. Wow. So let's pay attention to this passage for just a minute. And if you've got your Bible today, I have to be honest, you're going to have to be good. We're moving through a lot of scriptures today and, and a little bit back and forth. The 10 I've chosen we'll walk through, but we're starting in Second Peter, a small book near the end of the New Testament. So having looked at this passage for just a minute, and I'm going to ask our tech team maybe to go back and put up verses two and three uh, a little bit behind me as you have a chance. When he talks about it, This opening up here, Paul, excuse me, Paul, Peter is actually the one writing here, of course. Peter begins by reminding all of us what we just read, some of the very basics of authentic Christianity. If we want to continue to grow in grace and peace in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and if we do, then we will be living according to the divine power which God has given to us. And if we do those things, we will be fruitful. We will enjoy life. We will enjoy the promises of God. We will know what the abundant life is, you see. And if you look at this passage, I want you to see here real quick, this kind of amazing thing. Uh, let's see. In on his divine. Okay, the third line down. His divine power has given to us all things. Now, For you non-grammarians, sometimes when I start talking about tense and case and number and why that's important in a biblical translation, you get lost. But this one's pretty obvious, I hope. It doesn't say, if you do these things, then he will give them to you. It says his divine power has done what? Has given. It is what we call the perfect tense. It's not just in the past, it's complete. He has given to us. And when it says he's freely given to us, (laughs) I mean, has given to us freely all things. The word is doreomai, which means to freely give, to grant, to bestow. Just he's put it on us. He has given to us. It is a done deal. So so get what's going on here. Peter is saying God has already given us His divine power. And through that power, He has made everything that we need, everything which pertains to life and godliness, available to us. God has provided believers with all the resources necessary to make spiritual growth possible. So I say that today because I want you to understand, we're not sharing these promises just to give you a little boost for today, to give you a little teeny shot of encouragement with a cute quip from the Bible That's not the purpose of what we're doing. These promises of God, according to this passage, are are given to us. They are intended to be a part of the transformation of our lives. It's only possible, in fact, by the promises of God that we're able to make this happen. So, think about this with me for a second. Some of you are looking at me a little, "What, what do you mean, Pastor? Okay, so listen up. This passage is saying to us that God's divine nature has given to everyone in this room. Say, that's me. Now, see, you're not convinced. Say, that's me. Because, not because you feel it, not because I told you so, but because the Bible says so, okay? It says, God has given by His divine nature to everyone in this room who is a believer in Jesus Christ everything you need for a godly life. Do you believe that? You should. It's in the Bible. It's in the Word of God. God has given you everything you need for a life of godliness, for life and godliness. So, here's a question. Are you ready? Okay. So, if God has given you and me everything we need for life and godliness, if we're not enjoying a godly life, whose fault is it? You're, you're, you're right. It's your wife's fault. No, uh, uh, no, uh, uh, why, no. It's your husband's fault. Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's your kid's… F- no, no, no. I got this. Wait, 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 wait. It's your boss's fault. Uh, that, that's right. Or uh, uh, your whatever. Uh, oh, oh it, it's your pastor's fault. If he could teach better, you would live better. Amen? Oh, sure, that's it. That's it. See, don't we all do that we like to blame other people. Well, you know, pastor, I was in this small group and, and my friends were supposed to help hold me accountable and their phone call came too late and I'd already fallen and didn't, yeah, right, it's your friend's fault. We, we say those kinds of excuses all the time and we need to say, you know, wait a minute, wait, What does the Bible say about that? And the Bible says that God says, I have given you everything you need for life and for godliness. All things that pertain to it, you are not standing in need. Say, I have everything I need. I have everything I need. That's what the Bible says if you're a believer in Christ. Now, The Bible goes on, if you get verse 4 up there for a while, I love this phrase, this last phrase that we use uh, in terms of the promises. These great and precious promises, and they're great because they come from a great God, a magnificent God, and they're great because they lead us to a great life, the abundant life, the Spirit-filled life, a full and godly life. That's what makes these promises great. And they are precious because their value, my friends, is beyond calculation. Beyond calculation. We have so many great and precious promises from the Word of God. We have the promise of the forgiveness of sin. We have the promise of rest for the weary. We have the promise of comfort for the sad, hope to the dying, the resurrected life for the dead, for answered prayer. We have the promise of the sharing of the very nature of God by the gift of the comforting, teaching, and indwelling Holy Spirit of God in us. We have the promise of eternal life both now and forever in a new heaven and a new earth. The promises of God are great and precious. Now, he himself goes on in this passage to tell us two reasons why they're great and precious. He says it right there. Look at this passage. He says that through these, you may be partakers of the divine nature. The word partakers is the word also that is used literally for partners. God has made you and I his partner. Listen, you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. God just said, you can be co-heirs with Christ. You are my children. I bring you into my family. What a staggeringly precious promise that is. Do you remember, we sang about it. Thank you so much for the selection of songs today. The price that was paid on the cross to put us in this position. Jesus laid down his life for us. And remember what he said to his disciples just before that crucifixion. He said, I've got to go away, but if I'm going away, I'm going to send another, a comforter, the Holy Spirit. You see, th- this is, this is what, what, what Jesus said. And, of course, it's what happened, right? Right? This is what the original Pentecost was about. The Holy Spirit came upon them and ever since on all those who name Christ as Lord and receive Him as Savior and Lord. And in Acts chapter 2, when it happened the first time, here's what they said This promise is to us and our children. And when they said our children in that day, they didn't just mean their children, right? You understand. They mean our children and their children and their children and their children. It means to all generations that follow. You know who that is? That's us. It's a great promise. The Holy Spirit is still doing what He did at that very first Pentecost. So we become partakers of the divine nature. And then look at the second thing. He says, and having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And I can hear you thinking right now, oh, I wish because I know that's how I feel sometimes. I wish that I'd escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. But we need to understand what he's talking about here. He, he, he's, he's talking about, for lack of a better word, the craziness of the world, because it can be traced directly to this continual lust for more, more more, more money, more sex, more self esteem, more approval from others. Lust says, I've got to have more. And God wants to deliver you from that lie. You don't need more, you just need Him. You just need Him. God wants to deliver us from that mindset of lust, and His great and precious promises are a way of showing just how much He has given. You don't need anything else when you've got the promises of God. And the promises of God flow from the person of God, who God is, and what He does. And learning what those promises are, and what they mean to you, and you, and you, and me, that's what discipleship is all about. It is about appropriating the promises of God into my life, the discipleship growth process. So with all that in mind, Get your running shoes on. We're going to look real quickly at 10 of the great and precious promises that I'm just going to put out there for consideration for you. The others, you might have jotted down some references while we were uh, playing them on the screen during Mike's song, and that, that would be fine too. I'm not telling you which one. Remember I said you get to choose which ones are the greatest promises for you. But friends, don't just write them up and stick them on a wall. Put them on your heart. Gird yourself up every day on the promises of God and walk in the life that God has for you. Here we go. Here are 10. The first one's going to surprise you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is when God is cursing the serpent. And you're thinking, you're going to bring a promise of God out of a curse? Yes, because you need to hear what it says. Here it says, I, that's God speaking, I will put enmity between you and the woman He's talking to the serpent, remember. He says, you and the woman, there's going to be an enmity, a disagreement between your offspring and hers, and he, that is the offspring, will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, if you're not very much of a Bible reader, anybody might read that and say, oh, they're talking about serpents and snakes. Yeah, serpents tend to strike you on the heel because that's what's down there on the ground, and uh, we know that people like to chop the heads off of snakes, so this is a verse about snakes and people and not getting along. No. No. This is a verse about the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. It is the foreshadowing of the coming Redeemer. And why do we need that? Because we've just had the fall. And what do you need when you've had the fall into sin? You need a Savior. And God doesn't waste any time. God immediately brings word of a Redeemer to come into His promise. This is not a statement about human beings and snakes. It is a biblical image of Satan in conflict with Jesus and how Christ the Redeemer is going to be victorious. From the very moment that mankind fell into sin, God had a plan. Indeed, we know that God had it before the fall, right? Because we know that when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he understood it was from the foundation. Before the foundation of the earth was laid, the Redeemer was appointed. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus. And so this promise, Genesis 3.15, you think you're only like five pages into the Bible, and there's so much more to go. This is thousands of years before Jesus is going to come on the scene, and God has provided for you and you and you everything we need for salvation because Jesus has been promised. There's a well-known joke, you've heard it many times, I am sure, about the pastor who preached his children's sermon, right? And he describes something that is small and gray and furry with teeth that likes to collect nuts. And he says the kids, what do you think it is? And the little boy raises his hand. He says, uh, sounds to me like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus because in church, the answer is always Jesus. When you read Genesis 3.15, that's God's answer to the fall. The answer is always Jesus. What's the greatest promise of all time? You don't go wrong by starting with Jesus. Jesus is the greatest promise of all time. In a sense, that's a very correct response. That's what this verse is pointing to and what makes it worthy of consideration as the greatest promise of all time. Let's consider another one that you're going to know from heart. Psalm 23, verse 1. Say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. That one verse. What a promise it is! Is it any wonder that people love to memorize the 23rd Psalm? When I learned Portuguese as a missionary, the first thing my Portuguese teacher made me memorize the 23rd Psalm. O Senhor é o meu pastor; nada me faltará. Nothing will I lack. Nothing will fall short in my life. God is providing. And let's face it, the whole psalm is amazing, but there is a sense in which the first verse captures it all. It's a summary, and everything else is just detail of the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Amen? What a blessing. What a promise. One of the greatest sermons I ever heard, and you, you know it's from an African-American preacher when I tell you how it goes. I, I, it blew me away. He said, today I'm going to preach on a, pa- a pastor's conference. The the, the passage that you know well, the Lord is my shepherd. Everybody kind of goes, man, I I mean, we've all preached that like 500 times. And he starts and he says, the, singular, definite article, one, only, unique, God, the, only one, the Lord, not somebody else, not some Lord, the Lord, Lord Almighty, Lord of hosts, this word Lord here, the word from which Jehovah is used, Yahweh, the I am that I am. You see, and that's important because God, when He first introduces Himself to Moses and Moses says, what shall I call you? And God says, Yahweh, I am that I am. Always am. God always is. Even in the past, God is. Even in the future, God is. God is always in the present. It is an amazing thing. The Lord is, I mean, and that's the way he preached the whole sermon, just those five words. Somebody said the greatest five words in the English language. The Lord is my shepherd. What a promise. Okay, let's look at number three. Here's another one to consider. John 14, verses two and three. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Wow. Now, here, what I love about this one. This is what I call a bargain promise. We could call it a Costco promise, because, not because it's cheap, oh no, but because you get three in one, you get a heck of a deal here in this promise. Look, in this one passage, here's what, first thing Jesus says, if it were not so, I would have told you. Can I get an amen on that? Can we get a politician anywhere? <laughs> if it weren't so, they would tell us. If it is so, they would tell us. Just shoot straight with me. Listen, folks, I got all kinds of problems. Can I get an amen? I I got problems. You got problems. All God's children got problems. But I'll tell you this one thing about me I will shoot straight with you. If I'm unhappy with you, (laughs) if I feel like you're unhappy with me, I might just step. I I just feel like you're not talking to me, and I'd really like to understand why. Now, you might think that's just an incorrect way to come at you, but I'm just going to, if it were not so, I would have told you. If it is so, I'm going to tell you. That's how I operate. That's how we should all, and thank God, that's how he operates. It's so rare in life. That's the first part. I'm going to tell you the truth. Second, he says, I'm preparing a place where all y'all, it's a you plural, all y'all are going to be with me. See, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus cares enough for you. He has prepared a place. Wow, what another promise And then the third one, he says, and by the way, I'm not just building that so we can sit there and people can come by and look at the demo home. He says, I'm not doing this to waste my time. I'm preparing the place. Why? Because you are going to be with me. Wow, what a promise from God. A triple promise. Decker promise in this one passage. All right, let's go to the next one. Now this one, I'm pretty sure not many of you could have guessed. It's a little bit longer one, but it's well worth our while. Follow along. This is John 16, verses 19 through 24. Jesus knew what his disciples, that's the they, what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said, and this is what Jesus had said that confused the disciples, a little while and you will no longer see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy." When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come, but when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And on that day, you will ask nothing of me. Very truly, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Now, that last one, oh, that's the promise. Ask and you will receive. That's not the promise I'm highlighting here, folks. From this passage, I I want us to get the whole flavor and understand that not all the great promises of God can be put on a rock that you put in the garden, right? That not all of them can be a little poster that you make and hang in your office. This is a great promise of God. It is a big teaching point about the nature of God and how he works that we need to grasp. Listen to me, friends. The world does not love Jesus. The world will not love Jesus. He says it's rejoicing that he's gone. That Jesus guy came on the scene, he got crucified. We're glad that's done. Let's put him away, right? That's what he's talking about. The world is rejoicing, he says. But you, as my followers, he says, you get the pain. But don't worry. That pain of physical separation, Jesus is saying, is going to be replaced with a spiritual connection. And in the big picture, this physical separation is but for a moment, but your pain will turn to joy. Joy comes in the morning, the Bible says. You see, Jesus is saying, one day, I'm going to see you again, and your hearts will rejoice And not just for a minute, he says, no one will be able to take that joy from you ever, ever. In fact, a part of bringing you the joy now is that God is already at work receiving and responding to the request and needs of his people. Ask and you will receive. How many of you believe that? You believe that if you ask of God, you will receive. Let me tell you something. When I ask people, this is almost universal. If you talk to people, they say, well, you know, Pastor, I really don't pray as much as I should. Anybody ever said that? Yeah. And you know what? The number one reason people say they don't pray as much as they should. I just don't have time. I'm gonna give some credit to John Piper. I don't agree with him with everything he says, but he got this one right. He said, when it comes to judgment day, he says, Twitter and Facebook are going to be the proof that a lack of time was not the cause of prayerlessness. The people of God said, ouch. Ouch. Jonathan said earlier this morning, most important team of a church is its prayer warriors. doesn't matter whether you come here to do it or you're doing it from home. We'd love for you to do it in a team. It helps build a a certain unity. But we need prayer. Prayer, prayer. Prayerlessness is not due to a lack of time. Let's look at the next promise very quickly. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13, another for your consideration. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You say, that doesn't sound like much of a promise. Keep going. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, folks, there's no question. This is a great promise for anyone who has ever felt beaten up, knocked down, cornered or defeated in the face of temptation. But here's what I want to say to you. While you're claiming verse 13, don't forget verse 12. They need to go together. It's a very useful reminder of how every promise of God, not just this one, every promise of God needs to be received by us with grateful humility. Not with arrogance, not with a spirit of hoarding, not with a spirit of grabbing, not a spirit of somehow I deserve it, not somehow that it's a special, a special benefit just for people like you and me for how great we are. That's not it at all. Be humble and understand that the truly great promises of God Do not come to us because we deserve them, but because they flow out of the nature of God himself. Do you see how he said it? No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but because God is faithful. That's who he is. Because God is faithful, he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will also make a way of escape for you. Because God is faithful. What do you have to do with that? Nothing. You have nothing to do with that. God is faithful because that's who he is. And the promises of God flow out of who he is. So it's not because we've been especially good boys and girls that we deserve these, but because of God's grace towards us. God is faithful. Let's look at the next one. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Many of you will know this, right? Therefore, if anyone be in Christ... He is a new creation. She is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. What a wonderful promise. When we receive Jesus Christ as Lord, that's what it means when it says, if anyone is in Christ, you've received Jesus Christ as Lord. The Holy Spirit has come to indwell you. Here's the good news. God doesn't come just to improve our circumstances. God doesn't come just to give us a future in heaven or to help us behave better. God makes us new. He makes us new. It's not about changing our behavior. It's about changing our being our being, who we are. We are new creatures in Christ, and therefore the implications of this promise are incredible. We have the potential to live by the very power of God as we follow Jesus Christ as Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. What an amazing thing. All right, next promise, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Watch out for your toes. You could get stepped on here. Okay, 2 Corinthians, mine did, that's all I know. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in all good works, every good work. You saw what I was doing there, right? All, 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 all. What has God given you? Everything. He's given all of it to you. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you will always have all that you need. Now, do you believe that about yourself, you see? Do you believe that you have all things that you need at all times? Remember what we said at the beginning of this, the great and precious promises. This is not talking about just material stuff, folks. This is saying for life and godliness, God has given all that we mean. God is all sufficient. You see, this is a big promise. So whenever we start to complain, well, I'd have done better, but I didn't have, I didn't, uh, I didn't have, yeah, no. God says, I gave you everything you need for life and godliness, all things at all times. All sufficient is our God so that you may abound in every good work. So again, go back to what I told you earlier as we started the sermon. So if you're not abounding in good works, whose responsibility is that? Not your wife, not your spouse, not your pastor, not your boss. It's our responsibility. God says, I am giving you everything you need to know the abundant life, everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's God's blessing to us. What a great verse. What did God give us? All. He gave His all for us, and then He gave His all to us. All right, next promise. Colossians 1, verses 26 and 27. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that means the world, the glorious riches of this musterion, the mystery of God, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a promise. Christ lives in you, in me. In us as His people. It is His life in us that is the very hope of glory. Friends, that's what makes the next two verses important. So I've asked the tech team to help me put these up for us. You see, because if Christ is living in you, if He's alive and active in this church, then that provides the framework, the guardrails, the boundaries for all that we do. And here's what He says in 28 and 29. He, Christ, Is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, for that purpose, Paul says, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Oh my goodness, what clarity! Of what we are to be about. Brothers and sisters, this is why we constantly talk about discipleship. Uh, it blew me away. I once actually got a letter from a former deacon who told me that we were ruining the church with all this emphasis on discipleship. He wanted us to go back to traditional Baptist programs. He said, That's what we need. We don't need this discipleship thing. Folks, I want you to understand, all Baptist programs were always intended to strengthen the discipleship ministries of the church. And where they don't, it's time to stop using them. Discipleship is not the death of the church, friends. Discipleship is one of the main purposes of the church. It's why Paul said, I'm given everything that's in me to that purpose. So making disciples, and he didn't just say, make church members. Do you see that? He, he said, fully mature. Want everybody to grow up, mature Christ followers. Make disciples like Jesus did. Friends, if that's not what we're about, let's close the doors. Amen? You're supposed to say amen with some conviction. That's what we better be about or we're in deep trouble. You say, well, what about the lost? Yes. You can't reach the lost if you don't have mature disciples who know Jesus and walk with Him. It'll never happen. Never happen. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit through His people. You will, I want ministry to the poor. Yes, we live like Jesus, ministering to the poor when we are disciples who are mature and live as Jesus lived and walked as Jesus walked and think as Jesus thought. And the only way to do that is to be a disciple of Jesus. Next promise, Hebrews 13.5, we're almost to the end. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money. You say, Pastor, that's not a promise. (laughs) Yeah, okay, this is our part, right? Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. How do we do that? Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. See, isn't it amazing that this promise, which is probably one of the most claimed promises of all the promises, I hear people say it all the time, I, I, I know it's hard right now, but God has promised He'll never leave me or forsake me. That's right. He promised you that. And He promised you that in a passage, the context of which was about stewardship. So if, here's what you need to put together today. If you've ever, not that you need to be a giver to get the promises of God, that's, that's, that's not the point. If you've ever wondered why it's so easy for people to get caught up in the rat race and their whole life is spent pursuing the obtaining of material things, it's explained right here. Because you can only avoid that mentality when you understand that God is with you, He will never leave you, He will never forsake you. And if you don't understand that, you have a hole this big in your heart that you're going to try to fill and fill, and you're going to pour junk after junk, material goods and stuff and houses and money and drugs and anything you can find to give you a shot. But when you know that God will never leave you or forsake you, none of that other crap matters because this is the bottom line of it. I will never leave you. When you have God, nothing else matters. When you don't have God, everything will never be enough. It will never happen. This is why the spiritual gifts of giving and faith are so closely related. When you give, You're demonstrating obedience and trust. That's what faith is. You're exercising faith. When you have faith in God so that you own stuff and stuff doesn't own you, giving away stuff is a predictable result because you're walking by faith. You're not worried about giving away this stuff because God will provide what you need because God has promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And that's the thing you're most concerned about anyway, not stuff. You follow me? What a great promise of God. Last one I want to mention to you today, dear to many of our hearts. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this verse used at the close of a worship service, at the close of a sermon, at an invitation time to say, have you ever invited Jesus into your life? It's a great question. You should be asking yourself that question right now. But today, I'm focused on the promise side. If you do, he will come in. He doesn't say he'll think about it. He doesn't say, I'll get right back to you. I'll have your people talk to my people. No, he says, I will come in. It's a simple image from the book of Revelation. I'm Jesus. I'm knocking at the door. All you have to do is open the door and invite him in. You have to do that much but that's all you have to do. It's just like opening the symbolic door to a friend. He will come in. It's a promise. Wow. Ten great promises for you to chew on. Maybe you've got some others. And we're going to close with one more promise, and then we're going to stand and sing, standing on the promises, and so we're actually going to stand before we start standing. So I'm going to like, invite our orchestra to come up, invite our director, Celio, Once you come on up here, get ready, and I'm going to invite everybody to stand with us, because what we're going to do is we're going to read this last promise together, and then after we read it, we're going to sing, Standing on the Promises of God. If you'd like to use a hymn book, that's number 335. The words will be on the screen, Celio will lead us uh, as, as we sing the song. But this is a promise that we stand on, because when we formed this church a little over three and a half years ago, this was the verse we chose as our theme verse, and it was the verse from which we took the name of this church. And so it, it may or may not, I know a lot of people said this is their life verse, It may or may not be the greatest promise of all time. It's one of the greatest. It's one that we cling to as a church family. I'm going to ask you to recite it together with me. Let's say it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your pathways straight. Amen and amen. The great promises of God. You choose. What's the greatest promise for you? But no, it's going to be found in this book, the Word of God to you. All God's promises, great and precious, they are.